Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Andy Neary. He's a pro baseball player and an author. Uh, the book is Breaking Through the Status Quo. So we're going to talk about his past, his work in baseball, his other activities. So welcome, Andy. Thank you for coming. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to the conversation. Well, good. Tell me a bit about your upbringing and uh, how you got into sports in general first. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a baseball family, so grew up in South Central Wisconsin. My dad is the longtime baseball head, head baseball coach at the high school I grew up with and went to. And so sports always played a big role in my life and my family. My mom was that traditional baseball mom, you know, always washing the uniforms and everything like that. So I think early on, I was given an opportunity to have good mentorship because my dad was not only a teacher, he was a high school teacher, but he was a great coach. And my mom was also a high school teacher. So from that standpoint, I I will tell people, I tell people this all the time, I had a pretty easy childhood from that standpoint, but I also had some very good mentors. Okay. So what happened with baseball? How did it transition to a career? Like what was about, what was that? Yeah. So I was, I was always that undersized pitcher. So I stand five foot nine at my, at my best, I weighed about 180 pounds. So I was not a big guy, did not throw overly hard, but later in high school, I realized that I had an opportunity to play baseball at the collegiate level. So I earned a scholarship to UW-Milwaukee, about 30 miles from where I grew up, and had a honestly had a roller coaster career at UWM. And it's it, it very much plays into, I'm sure, what we'll talk about with business, which is who are you surrounding yourself with? What is the mind, the chatter going on in between your ears? I would tell you my first two years at UWM were disastrous because I was surrounding myself with the wrong people. I wasn't putting in the work off the field that I used to, and my stats reflected it. And then in between my sophomore and junior years, I think this is important to share. What happened was I was named captain and that little, that little thing triggered me because I realized even though I don't have confidence in myself, my team obviously does. So I better kick my ass in gear here. And I started putting the work off the field, working on my craft. And by the time my senior season was over, I had, I earned the opportunity. I signed a free agent contract with the Milwaukee Brewers and it was kind of a cool Cinderella story in a way, because here I am growing up playing, you know, I was rooting for the Brewers as a kid because they were my hometown team. And here I was at age 21 with an opportunity to actually play for them. What did that feel like? That must have been amazing. Yes and no, because guess what? The mindset chatter came back. People ask me all the time about my pro baseball career, and I was very fortunate to be able to play at that level. Now, to be clear, I didn't make it to the big leagues. I was in the minor league system. But if you were to ask me, Richard, what defined my two years? I will tell you it was three fears, the fear of comparison, the fear of judgment, and the fear of failure. So when you're playing minor league baseball, you are constantly being compared to your teammates, so it's easy to compare yourself. What's unique about minor league baseball is you're actually competing with your own team because everybody is trying to get promoted. So you are competing against all the other pitchers on your staff. You're judged every day by scouts, and you're judged literally by stats. 
And then for me being a free agent, I knew today if I screw up, it could be my last day. So you have that fear of perfection that have to be perfect. And I will tell you, those three things were very much an influence in my pro baseball career. It's why it lasted a lot shorter than it probably should have. All right. Interesting. Um, so when you were you were made captain, then all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm responsible for these other people on my team. So it, it upped your work ethic. You, you dove in and you did the work, as you said, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it's a good message for an entrepreneur. If you're not willing to put in the work, you're not going to grow a business. And I had to have that self, that talk with myself back between my sophomore and junior years at UWM that said, hey, man, if, if you have any dreams of possibly playing beyond college, this is all on you. You have got to take 100% accountability for your results. And it is going to come through all the work you are willing to put off the field when no one is watching. And that included, you know, when my buddies wanted to go out and grab a beer on a Thursday night, I'm in the gym. And I think it's those things you have to do. I still say it today when people ask, what's helped you have success in business, Andy? It's the work you put off the field. I think any entrepreneur who has viewed, who's had success growing his or her business would, would agree with that statement. It is all those hours when no one's watching. Yeah. Did you notice that was in your coach that knew that putting you in a position of responsibility would make you more responsible? Or was it just a fluke? I mean, did you watch him do this with other people or... Have you done this with kids? Have you seen, you know, someone given an opportunity like this? Do they rise to the occasion? Do they fall flat? Like, what's some of the nuance of, of what you went through and why it worked and would it work for others? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say they saw the potential in me. Up until that point, was I reaching my full potential as a player, as a, as a collegiate baseball player? Absolutely not. So they saw the potential. My teammates saw the potential, obviously, because they voted me cap. And I think... Seeing somebody realize I had the potential, it's probably why I was so blessed to grow up with my dad in my house as a coach, because he constantly instilled that potential in me. I think it was realizing I have the potential that gave me that boost that I had to be accountable to achieving it. Even today, you know, I'm a business coach working in the insurance industry. There are so many sales producers in our industry that are just not reaching their full potential. And if somebody can just show them they have it, and as long as they've got that accountability, now they can reach it. I just I don't think a lot of people realize what their full potential is these days. How do you communicate to someone with their potentials when potential doesn't mean, you know, actually doing? It means the capacity's there, but you still gotta do the work. How do you impart I, that as a lesson? Yeah, that, it's a great question. You know, we we happen to work with a lot of athletes right now in this business because there's a lot of athletes who get in the insurance industry. And one thing I see between, you know, athletes and call it all others is most athletes, especially if they played at a high level, have that drive and that discipline because that's what it took to play at that high level. So we love working with those folks because they've got the drive and the discipline. I think a lot of people, especially coming to our industry, Richard, which is insurance, most of us didn't get here by design. And I think a lot of people come in not knowing what their potential is. They just know there's potential to make money. And my job, I view my job as a coach to help them realize how much more they can be doing. I heard, I don't know if you know, if you've heard of David Goggins, right? I've heard Goggins talk about this. When we think we hit our capacity, when we think we hit our capacity, we're like 40% of the way there. And I think- also too is like, he could run on broken legs and be like, oh, that's fine. Yes. Oh, yeah. And and there's a there's a little nuttiness to that too, right? But I think what I what I do believe is I think a lot of people believe they're maxing out their potential, but they're not quite there. What we try to do is help them realize you've got more in that tank. You've got more you can give. If I can help you untap your confidence that you can get there and give you the motivation to get there, you're gonna you're gonna achieve results you never have before. And I I think 
I'll be honest. We talked about hardships in business. I was that guy for a long time in my insurance career as a sales rep who did not hit my my potential whatsoever. And when I started my business, and I realized this was a moment I realized this was my pivotal moment, and it actually came from watching a Gary Vaynerchuk video. He said one of the things about being a business owner that will determine whether or not you will be successful is the realization that 100% of this is on you, the good and the bad, the success and the failure. If you are willing to own your failures, you will do well. And when I heard that, I realized I have so much more potential than I'm putting out right now. And I think starting my business is what gave me that epiphany that, yeah, I can unlock my potential here. There's going to be a lot of hardships, but I can unlock my my potential by taking 100% of ownership of this thing. And, And I've been happy to say that's happened. And this is the insurance business? Yeah, I've been in the insurance business for 22 years. Today, I'm a, a coach. So we help coach and train insurance producers. Well, tell me about that again. You know, the point of the podcast is the the particular hardships that yep. you've gone through in business and, you know, how you overcame them. So let's let's dive into that, uh, either yep. in baseball or in insurance. You know, what's some of the stuff that just like, you know, punched you in the nuts and you had to recover from? I will tell you, the first place I'd start is the mindset. You know, I I talked about my pro baseball career being defined by a fear of judgment, comparison, and failure. That's that's defined my business career as well. I was constantly comparing myself, constantly judging myself against others, constantly, you know, fearing, thinking I had to be perfect and therefore not doing anything. And when I started that business here, it took me, number one, first hardship. I didn't start a business till I was in my early 40s because I had an absolute fear of even thinking about being an entrepreneur. I did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family. It was get a paycheck, be safe, live safe life, right? And I'm like, I don't think I have what it takes to take a risk like that. Well, I take it. And guess what? All those fears come back. Fear of judgment, fear of comparison, fear of failure. And I hit a moment. I started my business as a side hustle in 2019. I hit a moment. I think it was September 2021. September 2020, excuse me. I was down to two clients. I wasn't making any money. And... I had that moment of, okay, maybe I just need to go back and sell insurance again. I was about to give up and I'll never forget this moment. This is a pivotal moment I want people to hear. I said, I have two choices right now. I could give up or go all in on myself. And I made a decision in a matter of three days (laughs) to join a mastermind for entrepreneurs to get the support I needed from other entrepreneurs. I hired my own business coach. And then I joined a group of men, professional men, that to surround myself with other guys trying to achieve success. And in a matter of a couple of days, I invested almost $20,000. I did not have $20,000. Wow. But I will tell you, that was the moment everything started clicking is when I realized I can give up, which is what a lot of people do. And my safety net was I can always go back and sell insurance. But I said, no, I'm going the other way. And I made three large investments, which I think was my moment of, um, it's time to, you know what, or get off the pot, shit or get off the pot. And I think that was the moment everything changed. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, We need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, 
transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Yeah, I felt that in, in my business too. Like, you know, you'll, you get bored of the business, you get tired of it, or sometimes it's just going nowhere no matter how much you're trying. And then you, you got to choose to go back in and wade back into the muck and fix it or give up and move on. Whenever I chose to go back in, I was able to grow things. It just took a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think every, it's probably why this podcast does so well, right? Every entrepreneur has that pivotal moment. So when you started getting the mentorship and you started having the community around you, like even then, I'm sure it wasn't like overnight, oh, everything's fine. Well, what were the hard things that you had to overcome and adjust even when we started getting this mentorship and help? <laughs> Comparison, judgment, those all came back because now I was comparing myself to the other people in the mastermind. I was comparing myself to those guys that were having more success of me, success of me. But I'll tell you from a business tactic standpoint, it was putting in the work, right? Like anybody who thinks they can start a business and it's just going to be roses and sunshine out of the gate is 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 getting bad advice, right? You have to put the work in. And for me, here here's where I struggled at first. I will admit that I had seen all of these, call it social media, overnight successes of people who started a business and immediately went to seven figures in 18 months. And I said, okay, I could, uh, that would be exciting, right? And then it doesn't happen. And my mindset had to shift because I was thinking so short term as a business owner early in the in the in the business that it was impacting my decisions and I was making bad decisions because it was always based on the short run, short term. I had to realize that this is a long game and every decision I make has to it, it can't be how is this going to impact my business in the next six months or even twelve months. It's gotta be more like what what how is this decision gonna help me in the next ten years? And advice that I got, and it's from a mentor I've never met, it's through just watching, you know, videos and personal development stuff was I heard a, a mentor talk about the difference between playing a finite game and an infinite game. And I was playing a finite game at that point. I was like, I want to make this amount of money by this time and I'm gonna, you know, what do I have to do to get to this amount of money? Right. And a finite game has rules, players, and a, and a, a beginning and an end. A f- infinite game is there's no, the, the whole point of playing the infinite game is to keep the game going. And that's when I realized that this is an infinite game. I'm not trying to win this game in the next 12 months. I think that's when my decision making got better, Richard, is like, I'm playing a different game here. Just keep the game going. If today I get my ass kicked, you know what? At least tomorrow I get to get up and do it all over again. And, and I think that's where my mindset. At, you know, once I came out of the comparison and the judgment, when I started playing the longer game around this and having fun with the process of playing the long game, I started to see better results. It's funny what you just said. Um, so when I was about 36, I wasn't in good shape. I hadn't worked out for a while. When I started it, it was really hard and it sucked. And I had to tell myself, look, I've done one workout. Now I've done two. Now I've done three. I, I literally had to break it down into the tiniest pieces in order to feel better about it. And when you were talking... It's funny, it's like a paradox. You, you're playing the long game, but the long game required you to play it every day in that one day. So it's yes. like, it, it's funny, it's both ends. You know? It is, it's absolutely. And you know, it, you talk about hardships. Another one that really stands out for me is two years ago. So August, 2021, I was in the hospital for six days with a pretty bad leg infection. And I don't want to over-dramatize it, but had I not gone to the emergency room the night before, I may not have woken up the next day. That's how bad it was. Oh, and I I found, landed in the hospital, landed in there for six days. But what I realized, this was my, so the hardship was, I was very nervous about what this, what's going to happen from here. 
right? I had to put my business on pause for a little bit. Not that long, but enough to be nerve wracking. Fortunately, clients were understanding. But the positive that came out of that hardship, because I'm always looking for the positives to come out of the, the darkness, right? And it's like, I had realized the reason I had a leg infection was because I wasn't taking care of myself. I'm a healthy guy. I work out every day, but I wasn't doing enough to take care of myself. That's why the leg infection developed in the first place. And I realized that in that moment, that if I'm going to win this thing, if I'm going to have success in business and life, I have to become a better student of the game, whether that's my health or growing my business. And that's a piece of advice I would tell others who are growing their business is if there's one thing you can control, you can't always control the outcome, but you can control how much you're willing to be a student of the game. Are you doing all those small details day in and day out, the boring stuff that is required to grow your business? And that's that leg infection. Sitting in that hospital room for six days is where I had my epiphany of, dude, listen, if you're going to have success in this thing, you got to show up every day and be a student. What are some of the, um, I guess everyone's excited here to make more sales and to grow their business and do the fun stuff. But as you're saying, it's the minutia, it's the small details, it's the boring stuff that if you don't take care of, then there's no foundation for your business to grow. 100%. Absolutely. And, and I learned, you know, as a coach, I mean, what people say, Andy, what kind of business do you have? It's a coaching training business, right? And one of the biggest challenges you have any, if you have a coaching and training business, and if there's anybody listening in who is, they'll understand this. At the beginning, it's all you, right? It's all your coaching. So there's really no value to the business. You know, if you if something happens to you, the business is done. And I didn't think about that at the beginning. I'm like, oh, it'd be fun to run a coaching training business because I love coaching. But then I when I started when I started to be a student of the game, I'm like, wait, I've got to actually try to grow a business here. It can't just be a hobby. And that's when I started realizing, you know, some important lessons I learned were things like processes for before profit. If you're gonna scale, it's not about more sales right away. It's about process. So you got to put the processes in place to be able to scale. You got to have people, right? I've got to hire some people even before I'm ready to so that we can support that growth. And I think a lot of business owners, especially these days, because again, you see the social media successes, people chase profit and they forget to do all the small blocking and tackling, like having the right processes dialed in, having the right people in place to run those processes. That's where I started to become a student of the game and a better business operator. Yeah, if you just try to grow without that stuff in place, then you'll blow up. You can't handle the new people. You'll fail on your deliverables. People will quit, and the whole thing will just kind of fall apart. Yep, 100%. So in terms of the uh, processes, did you go to automation? It seems like that's a place that a lot of people go without really thinking about the customer experience. Or did you go to more processes that still had a, a human touch, but they were systematized? Like, yeah. What, what method did you find worked? Great question. So we look at our business today around four pillars. Clients, community, content, and capture. So what do I mean by that? We've got, what are we doing for our current clients today to bring more value? How do we dial in those processes? Community, we are coming out with a membership site January 1st. So that's what are we doing with Complete Game University? Then we've got content, which is our social media content and our, our social media reach. And then capture is the sales you know process. And so we look at first, what can we do to create standard operating procedures in every each of those four categories to one, bring more value, but to make our life easier. We're always trying to, I focus on two things. Is this going to help us buy back time, create more time? And is this going to give us more reach? And then once those are dialed in, then we go to the people 
or technology, right? Do we have to hire somebody to do this or is there a technology that can help us scale this? So I'll give you a real, real easy example. Content. That's a big part of our business. Our content generates a lot of inbound leads. Well, now because of artificial intelligence and all these tools out there, we can create copious amounts of content without having to hire a staff to do it and pay thousands of dollars a month. So, you know, using certain AI tools to generate more videos and generate article content, whatever it is, has, has really changed our business because we now can put out even more volume and buy back time at the same time without hiring somebody. It's It's been a game changer. In the coaching business, how do you not, not have the coaching students use you or parasite off of you for their motivation? Like, how do you keep them motivated to do the hard work that they need to do, and, you know, listen to your coaching and implement your coaching? Great question. I don't have, so... We have a stable of one-on-one clients. The most effective way is for me, be, me to be able to meet with these people you know, every two weeks and keep them motivated. But I tell people, the one thing I can't do is the work for you. And so if I can give you a clear path, I believe this, and, and I know people are going to disagree with me. If I give you a clear path, a clear plan, you are going to get more drive to do it. What a lot of people lack today, especially in a sales production role, is they don't have a plan. And I can tell you in our industry, the training is very outdated. So they're not getting the help they need to win today. Therefore, they're not confident. Therefore, they're not clear. And now the drive and the discipline starts to wane because they don't have a plan. What we try to do is give them some clarity, give them a clear path to hit that sales goal. And once they have that clear path, that's when they build the confidence, which leads to more motivation and drive. Is it a perfect science? No. Have I worked with people who just don't have the drive? Yes. But- I will tell you a better plan will definitely enhance your drive and your discipline. Can you give like a really simple, small example of a plan to do X and the steps you'd take to, to reach X? You know, yes. Yeah, this is stuff I love. So if you're, let's just pretend you're a sales rep, you've got to sell some kind of product. If I'm starting from scratch today, Richard, here's what I'm doing. I'm going, okay, number one, how do I get my message in front of as many people as fast as I can? First of all, who am I talking to? I got to start there. Who's my ideal prospect for this product? What am I saying to them? So what is the marketing message? And then where am I saying it? And that's where we use a principle we call exponential awareness. How am I going to get one message in front of a lot of people at one time? And when you look at an industry like insurance, we're still teaching them how to cold call. Now, cold calling can be effective, but the problem with cold calling is I can only call one person at a time. And statistically, it takes 18 calls just to get somebody on the phone these days. Well, I would leverage better tools like social media, email, public speaking, podcasts, webinars, whatever it takes to get my message in front of a lot of prospects at one time, because that's going to create reach and it's going to build account, uh, build credibility and likability with your prospects over time if you do it enough. And so if I'm a producer now, my number one piece of advice is dial in who you're talking to, dial in what you're saying to them, and then create a plan to share it on platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram, emails, social media, webinars, whatever, to get it out in front of a lot of people at once. Well, would you go even more granular? Like, okay, I'm going to post to these five social media accounts at least once a week. So like every Friday, I'm going to spend 15 minutes, write the content and get it out there. And I fill in like a sheet that I've done that every every week and then you know, over the months, if I do the base activities, will it get me there? Is it go to that level of specificity? Yes. The, the number one strategy I am teaching our clients right now is they come to us because one of the comments we hear a lot is, Andy, I trust you and I think you're credible because you're everywhere. I see your content everywhere. So I'm going to assume you know what you're doing. 
So what we're helping them do right now is learn how to use, how do we create small pieces of content and turn it into volumes of content? And what's really, what's unbelievable right now is using platforms like ChatGPT and other things, you can do it. So I'll give you an example. Today, if I create a three to five minute video on my phone, and it's an educational piece of content for my prospect, I could post that on LinkedIn, but I can take that video and I can throw it up on a YouTube channel. I can use a platform where you we're playing around with a platform right now called video.ai. That platform can cut up that video into multiple short clips, less than a minute. So I've got now multiple pieces of video. I'm using that we're using a tool called YouTube Summary now where I can take the YouTube video, transcribe it in seconds, throw it over to ChatGPT, turn it that video into an email, into an article, into you name it, and I can create one piece of video right now turn it into multiple pieces of content. So without a lot of work, I can be everywhere. And now I can take those shorts and I can post them to Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube shorts, TikTok, you name it. And now your presence is everywhere. That's what builds credibility these days. Okay. Makes sense. What other areas in your coaching or in business do you feel like are you know just critically important overlooked and big big traps for people to cause them to fail? Yeah, the the, the perfection. That's number one, um, especially when it comes to content. The perfection is what holds people back from doing what they're supposed to, what they know they should be doing. They're trying to make things perfect before they get started. I was just on a call yesterday with a, a team, a client, and we were talking about podcasting, right? You and I are doing this podcasting right now without video. And one of the questions that popped up or a comment from one of the, the members of the group was that, oh, you've got to have really good video equipment because I'm not going to watch it if the video's not good. And I said, listen, guys, Here's, you want to know a fact? A terrible message done with the best video equipment I've ever seen is a terrible message. An amazing message that's done over Zoom without the cameras on is an amazing message. It is not about what kind of equipment you use. It's about what comes out of your mouth. And that's where I tell people they've got to start, Richard. It's not about equipment being perfect. Just start putting content out there. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. Getting stuff done to a good enough level will beat a perfectionist any day of the week because they'll sit there and never get anything out there. You don't want to put out garbage, but you want it to be a good enough level where it's good enough to let it go and, and then move on to the next thing. So I understand what you're saying. Can you talk more about comparison? You mentioned that a few times when you were in baseball and then in insurance, you kept comparing yourself to others. I've had this in business where you, know, you can't see on the inside of other businesses and on the outside, some of them look like tremendously successful. So how do you reconcile that where you don't keep looking to other businesses that seem to be more successful than yours, you know, make a fair comparison? Is that even possible or what what do you do? The best advice I was given that helped me overcome my comparison trap was when you get caught comparing yourself to somebody else, the reality is they're probably on chapter 10 while you're still on chapter one. So if you compare yourself to somebody else who's doing what you are wanting to do, The reality is they probably have just been doing it longer than you. That's it. They're on a different chapter. And when you get started, it is so easy to get caught in that trap. Well, I want to be doing what she's doing and I want to do it now. Well, she's been doing it for three years. And so that's my advice I give people. Whenever you find yourself comparing, there's a really good chance they're on chapter 10 and you're on chapter one. Just don't look at what they're, maybe look to them to model what they're doing, but don't compare because they've been, the, the only difference between you and what they're doing right now is time. So who should you compare yourself to? You, yourself from a month ago, yourself from yep. a year ago? Like what's a healthy comparison? 
That's a great answer. That's a, you, you just nailed it on the head. I would tell you, I know this stuff is all, it can sound so cliche. The only person you should ever compare yourself is the person you were yesterday, right? I mean, the rule, the, the cliche statement is get 1% better every day. But that's true. Like you should be comparing yourself every day. If you're better than what who you were a month ago at a certain skill, you're progressing. Great. You're moving on to a new chapter. That's it. Just compete with the person you were yesterday and be a little better than you were yesterday. The, the, the example of failing from comparison is repeating the same chapter one over and over again for 10 years. Well, I know people that are like that, yeah. And it seems like it's important to document your progress along the way because how do you look back and see what you've done if you don't document, you don't write it down? So is there like a journaling that you have clients do, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, where they capture certain metrics that they're going to look back on later for comparison? I don't have them journal metrics, but here's a question I do ask them to ask themselves. It's one I, I actually ask myself as well. I used to struggle with journaling because I would try it and then I would feel like I'm just checking the box. And so I started asking myself a question. Like when I started the business, I said, okay, my first big like milestone is going to be I hit a half million dollars. So I would ask myself the question every morning. How does a business owner of a half a million dollar business operate today? And I would just write out that story. What does this guy do today if he were running a half million dollar business? And then it became, okay, I hit a half million. What does a CEO of a million dollar company do? And so I have them do the same thing. You know, they have sales goals, right? So how does a producer who has a $500,000 sales goal this year operate today? And then they start writing down all the things that person would do. And that just becomes their playbook. And I'll tell you, as simple as that sounds, I've seen profound impacts in what it's done for me on how I do operate on a daily basis. And I know it's done the same thing for our clients because now it forces them to think bigger every day. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Years ago, I thought, what does the CEO of Apple or Microsoft do? And I realized they, they can't do anything in the business. All they could do is really steer the ship. They don't have time to solder a circuit board or answer the phone or, or any of that stuff. So I thought to myself, you know, the day I can systematize everything to the point where I'm completely redundant, I don't need to do anything, that'll be a success instead of myself to death, yep. you know, and being busy. I don't know if you incorporate any of that thinking. The people you coach, do they want, do they need to be busy? Like, do they crave it? Are they workaholics? Or can they settle into a more relaxed pace where they're working 20 hours a week, yet things are so systematized that there's no fires anymore, they're okay? Uh, that's a great question. I tell you, you know, in our business insurance, it's hard to, depending on how you set up your business, most don't have it set up to be where they can just show up 20 hours a week. Now, they're at a point in their career, they're a veteran, they have a book of business where they don't have to, you know, manage that book very heavily. Okay, maybe they could back it off, right, and work a few hours. But what you said that I thought was really point was going back to that journal exercise. If you're asking yourself the question, how would a sales rep operate today with a half million dollar goal? You know what they're not writing down? She would sit in her inbox for 15 minutes answering emails. She wouldn't put that if she's operating to sell. And to your point, so many of our clients still get caught uh, running in the business versus running the business, you know, focusing on the business. And that's where we really try to come in is help them take a step back and say, listen, yes, I know you're in the business every day, but you've got to take that step back and look down at the business to see what you're doing that is keeping you from growing. In the insurance industry, it's it was my challenge. You know, you talk about hardships. 
you're doing too much of the doing. You are your own inhibitor to your own growth because you're either too afraid to, to give up some money, some profit to hire somebody, and you have to make certain moves to remove yourself if you're going to grow. And that is typically the hardest conversation we have with an agency owner, especially when they're early on in their career, saying, listen, the only way this is going to grow is you got to start getting out of the way. What about if you encourage people to ask the opposite question? You know, let's say I have a half million dollar business. What would I do to make sure my business fails? Maybe ask that, you know, the opposite. And then maybe they would stand on email all day. I, I'd procrastinate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Maybe just a different. No, that's a great way to look at it because you know what happened? They'd make a list and then they, and then you could ask them. So how much of that are you doing right now? And I bet you it's a good chunk of the list. <laughs> oh, yeah, anyone. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I'm at the point sometimes where like, I'll, you know, I don't really use social media, but I'll go on YouTube. And lately I'm like, is this video going to help me? Is this a good use of my time or is it a waste? And now yep. more often I'll, I'll stop after like a minute or two minutes or not even watch the video and I'll try to focus on more important stuff. So I guess asking yourself questions as you go about your day as well with this, this uh, idea in mind of what should I do? What shouldn't I do? would be very helpful. It is. I'll tell you where it's really helped me is when I pose the question, how would a CEO operate? You know, one thing I find myself writing down frequently is if it doesn't help us create reach or leverage time, it's a no. And I think one thing we get all trapped into as entrepreneurs is early on, we're excited for all these opportunities. So we're saying yes a lot. And it is easy to say yes, but then realize that yes has nothing to do with growing your business. And one of the things I had to learn the hard way, because I'm a people pleaser by by nature, so I like to say yes. One of the things I had to learn to be successful in this thing was saying no. And you know, I'll tell you, I put us in positions early on where where I was doing things we shouldn't because I was saying yes way too often. What kinds of things should people be wary about saying yes to or no to? I'll give you a specific if this helps anyone. I know I got trapped and I've seen our own clients get trapped with this. Others reaching out to you who want to collaborate and they lead you to believe you're it's going to help you grow. And you get excited about all these partnership opportunities. Well, what they're really doing is at the end of the day, they're trying to find a way to leverage you to grow their business. And it's easy to say yes to that because it feels good. The reality is you now end up spending all this time, quote unquote, collaborating, but it's really doing nothing but grow their business and it's doing nothing for years. That's where I got caught. I was getting caught up in all these partnerships where, oh, let's do some collaborations and we're each going to support each other and grow our business. It never worked out. It was always a play to grow their business. So be careful about the collaborations. Well, how do you have successful collaborations then? Like, do you have to be just incredibly careful about who you're going to do business with or more of like, go at, you know, the advice you have is for you to go at yourself and not you're not like a big partnership person like Jay Abraham or something. Yeah, I, I would say, and I'm not saying by any means this is a, a right way to do it. This just, just this is just my way of looking at this. You know, we get a lot of people who reach out to us for collaborations, and I don't know much about them, and I don't know much about the product or whatever it is. It's usually an insurance based collaboration, and I tell them, I say, listen, I understand, I appreciate it. I first looked at, I look at what does their audience look like. You know, if if they have a massive audience that includes my prospects, I'm going to take a very hard look at that, but. At the end of the day, I have come to learn the things we're going to promote the most are probably people we're already doing business with. So if we work with a client and they want to do a collaboration, I will say yes, because they're a client. I, I can trust what they're doing because they work with us. But I am very careful about those who come to us wanting to collaborate because that's where I often get sidetracked. So today I end up saying more often than not, 
Yeah, we only do partnerships, collaborations with people we already work with. Okay. Again, I'm not saying that's the right answer. That's just how I look at it. It's okay. Everyone has their specialization. So it's all right. You can't do everything. All right. So we're close to the who would be a good fit for your coaching. I just want to, you know, I want you to be able to make a, a message if you want to promote your, you know, what you have going on. So um, I know more about you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Number one, who is a fit? We work with insurance producers, insurance sales reps, and financial planners who are looking for a more systematic way to open doors and are looking to build more credibility and trust even before they meet the prospects. A lot of people struggle right now because they do not have a marketing or sales process to open doors and then have better sales conversations. And that's what we do the most. We help these types of advisors build the credibility they need to open those doors. So if anybody is sitting there listening going, that is me, what I would invite them to do, Richard, is we have about a 17-minute video that covers our entire, we call it our complete game marketing playbook. What I would invite them to do is go get a a copy of that. They can go to completegameplaybook.com and download the video. Like I said, it's about 17 minutes, but it'll cover our whole playbook and show them the key areas they got to focus on to build a good marketing process and a good sales process. All right. Very good. Well, Andy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, and you've had an interesting life. You've got some great advice, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Appreciate you having me, man. It's been a good conversation. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.